Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a successful financial services practice? Your hosts, Brad Warhurst, Jeff Coplin, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch and will share with you steps you can take to grow your business and build a world-class practice. It's time for you to get the edge. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. We're here to talk today about hiring and staffing, and maybe we can identify what would work best for you, uh, or maybe we can help you avoid some of the mistakes that we think we've made along the way. Most importantly, we are going to have an unfiltered and open conversation. So be ready to write down your takeaways, and then more importantly, start developing an action plan for yourself. So you uh, heard in the introduction, there are four of us, Jim, Brad, and Greg. Glad to have you all here with us today. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Uh, so just to kind of kick this off, I was thinking in advance, there was this, I think, old rule of thumb that I feel like applied in terms of staffing ever since I've been in the business 20 years, that you're supposed to have one person for every $250,000 of production that you either are doing or want to do. And then you debate about that. And then I, thinking about that, well, certainly $250,000 20 years ago is a lot more than $250,000 today. So maybe we adjust that up to say $300,000 a person. Uh, but then let's talk about what that even means when we talk about staff member. There's administrative support people, there's marketing people, there's communications people that can mean all kinds of different things. Uh, then there are financial planners, supporting planners, otherwise oftentimes known as data entry guys or gals, and then there are salespeople. And so maybe each of you talk about, uh, Jim, you go first, uh, since you're in the, my upper left corner, and uh, tell us what your philosophy has been in terms of number of staff and how you've gotten to where you are today. And Jeff, what that, that suit, buddy, you're, uh, you're making us look bad by dressing up for these podcasts. And, and if you don't know, if you're hearing us on, um, on Google or Apple Podcasts, we we're on YouTube as well. So Jeff, Jeff is uh, certainly looking dapper today. So thanks for making us all look, look uh, like we didn't dress up. <laughs> I've went through this, uh, this crazy hiring process over, over my career. And it's really been, if I had to look at uh, the one thing where I've screwed up the most or made the best decisions, it's hiring people out of need. And because I felt like I had no other choice but to get somebody hired because I had too much work. So right now we have um, we I have two junior advisors. I'm probably overstaffed right now. So I have two two junior advisors and then three support staff. And uh, I've made all of the mistakes along the way, whether that was choosing the wrong person or not paying enough or overworking somebody along the way. So I've uh, I have screwed it up royally along the way, but I I think we've actually gotten really really good now about hiring the right talent. And I I think the biggest thing I I want I think that the the folks listening can take away is uh don't be afraid to overpay for a talent. They will more more than pay for themselves over time. You get a you get a C player in the seat uh, they're going to kill your business. And even if you get a B player in the seat, they're only going to be okay. But you get a superstar working for you. Oh, that's a, that's a huge difference maker. And do you think that applies regardless of responsibility? 
Absolutely. Integration versus sales versus support. All day long. I want A players. I want people that are smart, motivated, gifted, talented, and uh, ambitious in every seat in the house. That now that doesn't mean that uh, they all need to be salespeople. You know, we go, we put everybody through a Kobe test when we hire them to kind of feel what their personality types are. And some of them are fact finders and some of them are fast starters. Uh, but I absolutely want the very best people I can get in each role just because um, I, I don't want to have to manage them. We have a lot, business owners have a lot of burdens. We're, we're managers, financial advisors, marketing people. We have, we wear so many hats. If we, we also don't want to have to do paperwork along the way. And when you talk about hiring then and the process, and you mentioned the Colby is part of your hiring process, do you run this beginning to end yourself, somebody internally in your office or somebody completely externally? We do it. Um, we've done it both ways. So I've used uh, I've used executive searches for advisors. Advisors are kind of that that, uh, and I think every I think I think Greg uh, Greg could probably talk to it, and Brad as well. But hiring an advisor is really hard. Like hiring, uh, you can go out and put an ad on Indeed and get you know a ton of people looking. But the only people that have experience that are looking are those that are failing out at their old firm for whatever reason. Because if you're a successful advisor, you're not going on Indeed to look for a job, right? So you ultimately want to find somebody who's fairly comfortable in their role and bring them up with you or hire a brand new person. That's kind of where we went. So we hired an executive search firm and they're not cheap, but to go out and find a, uh, a qualified individual. We hired a guy from Morgan uh, that had five years of experience. He's turned out to be a, a really good fit for us because I don't have to train him what an ETF is. I mean, I don't know if you've ever trained a new advisor trying to explain to him what mutual funds are. I mean, it's just a nightmare. Um, and then we also, our other person is just the junior that was uh, right out of college. Jim, have you noticed with the person, was the person out of college, someone in a, in a finance program? Or yeah, Brad, he, he actually interned at a, um, a, a broker dealer somewhere. So he had a little bit of experience, uh, not much just, uh, doing that. And he was, uh, he was a finance uh, major. His name is Justin from, uh, James Madison. So he was a finance major, wanted to be a financial advisor. He's now a CFP candidate. So he's a bright guy. Uh, wants to grow into the business. He's a great cultural fit, but he, you know, he's also 24 years old. So um, as green as you can be. Did you run into at all with, I've taken a couple interns from a local university. And what I found is that they, I, I feel like they, they kind of come at this, like they're going to be a financial analyst or uh, okay. So you probably got the same, right? Yeah. And then, you know, at some point the conversation, I find something for them to do, but then the conversation ultimately comes up about they want to do after college and what kind of opportunity would them, would there be for them, you know, with me or with another firm. And I, I try and walk them through, you know, a day in the life or what really the job is about, especially the first three to five years. And it ends up almost universally, my most recent one from last year is now an actuary. Yeah, but if you hire somebody that is uh, that wants to do that, it's a challenge. I think what we did is for Justin, I hired him as a contractor for the first six months, and I paid him a little bit more, and I just walked him through. I, and I I was very clear with him, like I want you to see what this job is because I think people walk into this career with a different expectation than what reality is. We all know that uh, there there's really two paths, really three paths to do this. The path that we each followed, which is to grind out success and go day after day, month after month, year after year, and then eventually find it. Or you can go join one of us and work for us and not have to do the heavy lifting, or you can fail out, right? 
and I guess there's the rich daddy that's in there as well, where you inherit dad's business. But but really, that, that's the that's it. And the somebody that joins us, they come in and they think it's like this glamorous job, and it's, I mean, it's just not glamorous. It's good solid work, and we help people. So I brought him in on a six month contract. He got to he sits in on meetings with me. He does all the prep work. He's really a paraplanner in a lot of ways. But now now that he and eventually got licensed, but now that he's licensed, he's closing business. In fact, while we were recording this, uh, he was walking out of prospect. So uh, that hopefully he's become a client. I don't know yet, but, but yeah, so eventually they grow to it. But I think, I think you, when you can't make this commitment, like I'm going to hire you right away, you almost have to do it as a, a paid intern for a few months with a, a goal to transition into something that's greater. And then the other thing is like showing them the opportunity that exists because, I mean, this is an awesome career. I mean, even for even for a marginally successful advisor, I mean, they can make two hundred thousand bucks a year working three days a week. I, I, where else can you do that? It's pretty awesome, right? We need to bring Greg in on this too. Greg, tell us where you've been on this whole notion of adding people and how you find them. Yeah, I um, I, I was just sitting here shaking my head as as Jim was talking about his experience and uh, with hiring and his team members and. You know, so uh, so the advisor that's in my office that kind of partners but run run independent practices, you know, so so th- that's also one thing being an independent advisor that you can do is you can also hire somebody, split their salary, split their benefits with another advisor. It seems to work out really, really well. Where it was unsuccessful over the years was when there's a disagreement and how much you want to pay the person, yeah. And I'm I'm always hey overpay you get what you pay for man whether it's a car whether it's you know hiring an employee and uh, somebody said I don't know where I heard this but I loved it you pay with peanuts you get monkeys and that's just the way that's just the way it works. That's a out. great line. Isn't that good? So yeah. you know my this uh, advisor that I work with oh we'll pay him thirteen dollars an hour twelve fifty an hour and we'll give them little you know fifty cent an hour raises and it's like hey if you're gonna pay peanuts here don't expect to get top quality people candidates right so eventually after you know some turnover and and it you know that, that kind of looks bad on the firm he, he finally gave me the liberty uh, to go out okay you find the person and so what I did is I went out and found someone with some industry experience, and she has been absolutely incredible. And the re- only reason that I wish she was leaving her previous role was, is the advisor was like the biggest jerk ever. And she said, enough is enough. I want to go still stay in this business as a, uh, she's director of client services is her, her title, does so much around the office. We're paying her really well too. So, uh, and then uh, just recently we're, we're going to hire uh, another administrative um, support person to work under her. So that's, that'll be here in the next couple of weeks. We should have somebody hired. So I've got a question. I've got a question for the group. When, when do we hire? This is a problem. I see advisors kind of fall into a trap. They get, let's say $20 million under management. They're doing everything. And then they can't figure out when I should hire somebody. And then ultimately what I should have them do. So any thoughts on that from you guys? Well, it's kind of what I was just thinking when Greg was talking so one of the, so I'm always the process guy. And so one of the things I've started doing myself and then started asking the others in my office to do is write down each thing that you do on a regular basis. So to where you're starting at, that's the solo person starting out maybe on their own, they're doing everything. Well, then make a list of what those things are, then make a list of what are the things that 
you're not even necessarily best suited to be the person to do because if you're doing support work and trying to do proactive prospecting, well, you're not the best person to do both. Hopefully you start coming up with a list of those activities that you would then reassign to somebody else. So I think that's true to your point right at the beginning when you're trying to figure out when you go from zero support people to one, I think it's when that list and the time involved it takes to do those things is more than you want to spend and from a time point of view and probably a little bit sooner. <laughs> I mean, isn't yeah. that why people aren't growing? It's because they get stuck and, and they're not committing to themselves or to their growth by adding somebody. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a gut feeling. I kind of just got to the point hiring this second person, and and my uh, client services manager kind of came to me one day and said, "Hey, we're going to need somebody." It, it, it's but it's kind of a yeah, kind of a gut feeling. It's kind of like asking, "When do you break up with somebody?" Well, again, a kind of gut feeling thing, or you know, if they. <laughs> you know, if they're unfaithful with your best friend or something. Right. So, uh, (laughs) that's that's uh, a good indication, Greg. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, so yeah, it's kind of, you kind of getting to the point where you're just overwhelmed and and you leave work and you still got a line, you know, a list of things that you need to get to that you say, but one thing that I'll throw out there is in this business, if you're ever going to be a successful, and, and we all started from the ground floor, that's why this podcast is so great, is because we've all got our own stories of starting from ground floor when you didn't have your own assistant. But the goal should be to at least get an assistant. And I'll share one story I had when I was starting out. I, um, I probably had 10 or 15 million AUM, and I had this new client and it was a doctor and the guy made $300,000, $400,000, five years away from retirement, really good guy. And he called me up one day and I answered the phone because at that point I only had 10 or 15 million AUM, didn't have an assistant yet. And he's, he's like, Greg, what are you doing? What, what are you answering your own phone for? You know, what's, what's going on here? And so it just dawned on me. And at that point, meeting the client at the front door, well, I'm the assistant. I'm I'm wearing, like Jim said, I'm wearing all the hats. It just doesn't, the perception just doesn't look good. No. So my business after hiring that that person, it exploded. It just absolutely took off. Yeah, that's my story. So, you know, Bill like Goodman, who was that? Go like, like the breakup, don't you always hang on a little too long and wish you would have done it sooner? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brad, you were saying about Bill Good. Is this the personal feelings podcast or <laughs> no, I, you know, a long time ago, I think the book's name is Gorilla Marketing yeah. by Bill Good. I don't even know if Bill is still in, in practice or not, but you know, he really hammers this point. And I think that the, I, I would say the answer to when to bring on staff, whether it's, whether it's service or sales is when your time as a salesperson is probably worth upwards of a thousand dollars an hour, maybe more. So when you're finding yourself having to do tasks that aren't related to growing your business, as soon as you can afford to is the time to hire a support person because Greg, just like we're not only perception, but I mean, every, every beneficiary change form that you have to send out or anything, any service work, any cutting the grass, when should you get someone to take care of the lawn and snow the day you open up shop, right? Like Anything that takes your time from doing the thing that drives revenue growth in our industry is is time to get support staff. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. 
Yeah. Don't don't do twenty dollar an hour tasks when you're worth a thousand dollars an hour. That's exactly Bill Good puts that in the book repeatedly. I think yeah. he uses 50, if you can delegate something for fifteen or twenty five or whatever dollars an hour, you should do it. And back to I, Greg, I think you mentioned earlier also about if you what was the peanuts pay peanuts get monkeys whatever. You know it doesn't matter even if it was an administrative person, and I'm certainly not in a in an urban area, but I mean. If I did, there was an administrative person that for $75,000 a year could make me not have to deal with any of those things ever, it would be worth every penny by at least fivefold. Absolutely. So you could spend your 30, 40, 50, however many hours a week you want to work doing what drives revenue, that's when. Who does paperwork for clients here? Does anybody do paperwork? Never. The answer should be no for each of you, by the way. I don't even know how to do the paperwork. Me either. (laughs) <laughs> right before this yeah. podcast, you, my, I had uh, I had these clients come in or these new clients here, prospects, and they agreed to do business. And usually I go out and I grab Justin. I say, go meet with these people and get the process started. But he was already meeting with another prospect. I had no idea what to do. I forgot. I said, um, let's schedule a time for tomorrow for you to come back in and sign your paperwork because I don't know how to do this, guys. Yeah. My, uh, my assi- funny story, a uh, client brought in a rollover check. My assistant was on fake vacation and, oh, here it is. Okay. Okay, great. We'll get that put in your account. And I, I said, oh, have a great weekend. I looked at the check, looked back up at the door and said, I don't even know what to do with this. What do you, what do you, what do, you do? So I called my assistant on vacation. She said, oh, you got to just, just FedEx it to them. And, you know, so but the one line that I love, and I heard this from a Don Conley workshop, and, and Brad, you've heard this before. Frank Sinatra didn't get paid to, to move pianos, right? Yep. Uh, I was I, just thinking of that. Yep. Is that a Bill Good, or, or where did that originally come I from? Think, I think it's a strategic coach. Strategic okay. coach. Yeah. I think that's where that came from. Okay. But it's totally true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, something I found myself thinking about last time I hired that did not work out like I hoped it would. And I want to know if you guys have thought about this. So, you know, I look at our own operation and honestly, we we very rarely see each other face to face during our business day. So I'm like thinking, well, why don't I hire a support person like from middle of nowhere, North Dakota for half the rate I'd have to pay where I am and have him or her work remotely? And it's like, I don't even know how to do that. you know. So I didn't, but it must be something we could do, right? Like just pay somebody to sit in front of a computer at home and kick out this stuff. I don't know. It depends what their job functionality is, but you know, you, it, it depends what you're trying to build. If you're trying to build a, a thriving practice, you're going to need some culture. And, and this is a, this is a human business for most of us. And I know there, I know there's anomalies out there where people can build virtual practices but I don't know about you guys, but my clients still want to see me and they want to know who's handling their money. And um, we we had somebody in our office that her husband is a PhD student and moved, moved to Kentucky. So she moved out there and we put her on virtual and she's still, she was awesome, by the way. Great. And so she's ever listening. She's awesome. But it changed the dynamic of the team. Like when we wanted to do a team event or have a meeting, we'd always have to dial in one person on Zoom. If we wanted to walk something to her office, it was impossible. We had to overnight it. So, I mean, to each their own, but I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a great thing for culture personally. You know, maybe if you had a, enough volume in your practice that there were enough remote tasks that you could keep where they didn't need to be brought into other things. Like they were just in charge of 
I'll just make some outbound mailing and emailing drip campaigns. If you had enough volume just to do that, then maybe, but I would think the same thing, just going back to the COVID days, like it is highly inconvenient. There's always that time where you're like, I just want to run this. Oh, I can't. Yeah. So it's doable, but probably not the best fit, I think. So another thing I learned last time, I actually, the last person who also was a top-notch employee for me was probably not quite in the right position for her abilities. And so I had her doing high-level marketing activities in terms of all the way to where she ultimately rebuilt our entire website from the ground up herself. Very skilled uh, and and, uh, design skills she had and writing skills uh, along with nuts and bolts, you know, kind of constant contact campaigns and that sort of thing. But then she was also our first point of contact on answering the phone, you know, day to day and making sure people were in the right chair when they came in for a meeting and that sort of thing. And honestly, it was a little bit of square peg uh, round hole, I think is the expression if I have it right. So I thought I'd try and do that again. You know, I ended up getting a bunch of people that were overqualified for the position that I was hiring for. Uh, that honestly wanted more money than uh, was appropriate for like half of the job that I wanted done. (laughs) So I went through this kind of rethink of the whole thing. And I'm like, you know, I need to break this into two positions and maybe find a contractor for the upper level stuff. And then somebody just to handle the day-to-day kind of operational stuff. So it was kind of interesting to me and realized I was doing it wrong <laughs> probably for two two years or so. I got away with it, but it, it was a learning experience. Yeah, I think all hiring is a learning experience. Um, you know, especially when you're, I, I think Brad made a point earlier, but especially when you're dealing with where we're at, you know, a normal financial advising practice is going to have six employees or below. Uh, it's not going to have 45 employees. And if you have 45 employees, one idiot can get hidden pretty well. Or even if somebody's not doing it, they, they can hide. But when you've got five or six or three employees, one bad person really can have a huge impact on you. So you've got to make those hires really well. I mean, I'll share this because it's uh, it's kind of funny, but make sure if you hire an advisor, you're really tracking what they do. I had one advisor I hired. I found him asleep on the desk one day. So I, I have two <laughs> I have two offices and I walked into the other office and the door opens really silently. And I just walked in. I didn't announce myself. I just walked in. I didn't know anybody would be there. Dude was laid out on the desk, taking a nap, like right in the middle of the business day. <laughs> it made me feel like I made a great hire that time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, if he was napping on a giant rollover check, you'd probably forgive him, right? Yeah, yeah. If. Only if. <laughs> that, that's not how it <laughs> Unfortunately, his production did not match his nap time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the last thing I would add for my saying is um, when you hire people, your practice, you spent years building it and the time, energy and money you've put into it. It's worth making sure you have a non-solicitation agreement and a confidentiality agreement. Every one of your employees, it's critical that you make sure they sign a non-solicitation and a, a, a confidentiality agreement. That way, at least if they walk out the door you can call an attorney and get a TRO sent out to them. You just don't want to put yourself in jeopardy. I've had it happen to me and see, seen money walk out the door once before early in my career. And it's 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 really devastating because there's not a lot you can do when you just start seeing ACAT after ACAT hit your system. It's it's no fun at all. That's great advice, Jim. Great yeah, advice. Sure. Did, did you put those in place with people you already had employed or did you do it as you added from that point forward? 
everybody has the sign or they don't get to, they don't get to get a paycheck. So they don't get to be an employee. Uh, and, and I explained it all to them. There's no negativity around it. It's um, we're a team. As long as you're here, you're going to get compensated for your services, but you can't take what you didn't build with you. And uh, we wish you the best. It's not a non-compete. I don't believe in non-competes personally. And I don't think they're from my attorneys. I talked to in my state, your states might be different, but they're tough to enforce, but I do not want them soliciting my clients. It actually is an 18 month non-solicit after 18 months. They're welcome to reach out, but um, and and I would I wouldn't encourage you to go out to legal Zoom and do this. Go talk to a employment legal expert to have this drafted because it's a big deal. Yeah, you know, and in my case with an associate advisor, we just did we we planned our departure on day one. His his departure, <laughs> and let's hope it's many 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 years down the road. But the deal we made was anything that you build, just like you said, Jim, anything you build and create, here are the terms of the buyout uh, and it's yours to buy. And this is how it will work. Anything you didn't will stay. (laughs) And and it just put it, honestly, put it to bed from day one before there were any clients to fight over. Yeah, I I would. I haven't done that yet with with a, a junior advisor. That's something that's uh, probably a couple of years down the road. But what I did experience with with another advisor, definitely get it in writing because people, they change their mind about things or they say, oh, I didn't say that, you know, and it's it's hearsay at that point, right? So uh, like the Johnny Depp trial, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go to your classic solo advisor and one support person setup. What are the key signs that you're at capacity and it's time to add that third person, would you all say? Because that seems like that's the biggest quantum leap, isn't it? Going from the clear lines of separation. I'm the advisor. You're the clerical person. Then what? When is it time to build out on that? I think it's it's about having, and I always recommend having uh we do weekly just once a week and it just kind of just brief 10, 15 minutes and kind of saying, Hey, are you behind? Are you, how's it going? How's this week? Some people do Monday mornings kind of as their buffer day to plan for the week, but just being open and having that conversation is, you know, are you overwhelmed? And, and it worked out for us that, you know, our, our assistant said, Hey, I'm at the point I'm at my wits end. And, uh, one of the things that we had did with her is she's, she's like a a type a got to get it done today. Like everything is an a plus task. Well, some of these things like a beneficiary change form, that's something that's a D level task. You can get done by the end of the week. So you got to, you know, kind of prioritize your workload, but there's also those people that want to get it done right away. So yeah, I, I think it's not just our responsibility to say, okay, now's the time. Also your, your one team member, Hey, how's it going? So yeah, I, I think you've got to figure out where capacity is for your people. And you want to run them at about 80% capacity, in my opinion. You don't want to ever run anybody at 100% capacity because they're going to feel like they never get a break. They're always busy and they're really stressed out. And once somebody starts to go over that period where life is really busy for them, they don't have a lot of breaks. They're feeling like they've got to get back from lunch. Then you need to... Uh, and then I think you need to hire somebody and that, that capacity is different. So there's, I don't, I think for that solo advisor shop, you know, there's people like Brad who run a, a high volume solar advisor shop where he's got lots of clients and it's him right now. And I know he's hiring other people, but then you have other people who maybe just have a hundred clients and they're, and they're just going to be in a different place because maybe they have less inbound traffic coming in or people stopping by. So 
I think it's really, you got to measure your people based upon their capacity and how busy they are through the day. And then I, everybody's got a different metric, but for me, I want to keep all my team somewhere between 80 to 85% capacity uh, because I don't want to burn them out. I don't want anybody to hundred percent because I know, I know, I don't know about you guys, but there's been times before where I don't feel like I have a, a minute in the day and it's a miserable day where I, I didn't have a chance to, to go out and uh, screw out on the internet for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, so do you, are you disputing the kind of the old two fifty? thousand per person rule or what I called the 300,000 of production per person rule? Or do you think that still has some merit? I think it's, I think because practices come in so many different shapes and sizes today, I just think you have to, I think it's a, it's like a rule of thumb, like we use in financial planning where maybe it's a good litmus test. Maybe you want to use AUM as maybe the guide as well. I've heard people say 50 million. (laughs) Um, So I think it's different for everybody. No, I, I don't, I don't always agree with these rules of thumb that are out there. I think I think it's very different for different people. There, there's some people that, you know, they're going to have 250 clients and half a billion dollars under management. They probably don't need a 20 person team or whatever that would equate to. So I think it's different for everyone. Brad, you were, you were, you were about to say something. I cut you off. You know, um, I did, have you guys ever heard? I, I always thought that the wires used to use uh, one, one support person for every million in production. And then a couple of years ago, I heard that that was maybe moving to one and a quarter. Have you guys ever heard that before? No, I haven't. I haven't. I know they're notorious for splitting uh, service roles. In other words, one service assistant may work for like five different advisors, depending. Sure, on sure, and allocated that way. And I always just kind of thought for myself, and it's kind of panned out that way, that they probably they probably stretch people past that eighty percent rule, right? Corporate America. So I always figured that that was probably a little high. And that's kind of what I'm experiencing. Also, I'm, I'm pretty, and I think the way that you judge this honestly is the same way about hiring a first one. When you can no longer delegate additional tasks to your existing support staff, and there are tasks that you want to delegate, it's time to add someone else. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm in the process of bringing on a junior. So that's priority. But once they're on board and up and running, I suspect next will be another support person because I I feel like my production right now is my my support staff can't handle any more projects and there are, you know I, uh, there are some that I want to do so if you feel like that or they feel like that then it's it's probably time and like Jim said I don't I don't know that there is any rule on assets or production you know you look at a book like mine I've got probably five times more households than a lot of wirehouse advisors at the same production level. So it's just going to vary on your practice, I think. I agree. And I, and I think wirehouse advisors, we got to remember, they they offshore a lot of the uh, servicing to uh, junior advisors with their team makeup. So they, right. they, they, they do... Uh, they do. They they probably have a little bit higher if you're if you're assuming that that junior advisor is doing any of the legwork around servicing. I don't know that they are or they're not, but I think they are. You're probably right. I think that I'm sure they do. I've I've heard people talk about it, doing their own paperwork and whatnot, especially lower on the totem pole. Yeah. And how about uh, full time and part time? Have any of you guys successfully employed somebody part time and had it work? Only in the very basic answering the phone. And welcoming people role. Anything with any responsibility. Back to what, uh, Greg, I think you said. I mean, pay at the top end of the spectrum, get someone who's serious about their job, because even at the very top of the average pay rate for that role, if they do it well, it's going to pay huge dividends for your business. Yeah. I had- Eight players making money. 
Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's right. That's right. I, I just was open uh, with, and I found mine on, uh, on Indeed and, and I, her, her resume was there, worked, you know, five years for this financial advisor. I Googled the financial advisor who it was, uh, and you know, Hey, I just candidly said, uh, what are they paying you? And, uh, I got to at least match or exceed and was able to exceed and it made the decision easy for her. And, uh, from a, when I told her how many clients we have versus the, the advisor she was working with, it was like, she was sold. She was like immediately, Hey, I'm going to go work here. You know, I, <laughs> for, for the same amount of money, you know, 500 client or, you know, 600 client households, whatever it was versus whatever I had at that time, you know, hundred or 150. Uh, it was, it was a no brainer for her. Did you, you steal know? her from Brad? <laughs> Is that where she went? Is that where she went? <laughs> now I know where that best friend comment came from. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were the best friend. Yeah. This whole thing, if we're talking about a difference of like 30, 40 grand a year in salary or whatever it is, in our business, that's four or five million of assets that you only need to recoup it. I mean, it's, but so many, I feel like advisors get tight. They, they're too tight and they're too small minded. And it's like, yeah. give away four to $5 million worth of growth and net just a little bit more and pass it down to a better employee. It seems like. All day yep. long. And it holds up their growth. It really slows them down from growing. I think one of the keys to my success was, you know, I started with Jones and I started in, a, in, a, in my house, but the moment I could hire an assistant, it just freed me up not to answer the phone, not to do address changes or benefit. I could go out and like knock on more doors and do more seminars. And it, you, you've got to do activities that that make money. Advisors have no business doing it. And that's that's kind of where the small person falls into their their trap. They maybe they've got 20 million in, in management. They say, well, I'm gonna take a huge pay cut. Only for like six to eight months, there that person's gonna pay for themselves time and time again because you're not gonna have to sit in the office and do beneficiary changes or open accounts, which just sounds horrible to me. I I, I don't again, I don't even know how a, a pen works anymore. Right, right. The, I, I heard an advisor say it was it was beautiful. It was exactly what Jim said. It's let's say you hire somebody forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and you're thinking, gosh, that's gonna now I'm gonna take home less money, right? My my net income is gonna be lower because I hired this person. Well, guess what? You don't have to write a check day one, right? You got to pay one twelfth the first month, you know, another one twelfth the second month, and you know by the end of the year, yeah, you'll pay that. But but quite frankly, your your business is gonna grow you know, like, like most of us over 10 million a year, that's over a hundred thousand dollars of reoccurring revenue a year. It easily replaces what you're paying that person. So yeah. uh, I think in the beginning, I, I, when you're, when you're starting out, when you're fresh, you're, you're taking, you're looking too much at the numbers and you're not considering all the growth. And if I could go back and say, Hey, I wish I would have hired sooner. There's, there's no question. Well, and as the advisors, we have to admit we're the ones driving the bottom line. And yeah. I mean, I know I'm guilty to a fault at times of not delegating out some part of my responsibilities that certainly are not producing revenue. There's no doubt about it. But it's a challenge of finding the right person that you trust to get some of those things done that might be a little bit outside of the scope of the people that I have right now. I mean, that that's it feels like that is at the end of the day, some form of the challenge everybody's trying to figure out. Yeah, and one of the one of my favorite excuses is I don't have the time to train somebody. I, I hear this all the time. It's a compounding factor. When you hire somebody 
and you train them on how to do new account paperwork. And maybe it takes you three times as long to do that than it did one singular account paperwork. That pays for itself for the next, as long as that employee is there doing that paperwork, you never have to do it again. So that's uh, that's the other part that I think advisors, we, we, we realize like we're not really good at that stuff, at least most of us. And having to train somebody seems really daunting. But if you put the time in, and you slow down for a month, it'll, it'll pay dividends in a big way. That's been my experience, at least. Yeah, no doubt about it. It is nice if you already have a quality support person on board and you're bringing on someone else because that person can help train the new person also. Right. So. And what I'm running into right now with, with my current person, uh, she she's doing what I did to her. She's She's doing all the stuff that she doesn't like doing. That's what she's going to have the new person do. You know, the <laughs> password resets, the beneficiary changes, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. All the I, crap. I don't, <laughs> I don't, if, if you, a client has online access, needs a password reset. I don't have an IT backer. I, I, that, that's not my thing. And, you know, I've been on those calls. Our broker dealer, well, what browser are you using? Are you using Chrome? Are you using this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I don't, I just like. Just get it working, dude. And you, you know, restart I, I, the computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you cleared your cache? What are your cookies? Like? You know, it's like, give me a break. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Well, let, let's be, you know, it's a different subject, but we're talking about training and maybe let's just close with a couple final thoughts here. But that's been in, uh, one thing that I feel like I've been fortunate to do right. The last two people I hired in the role for the same role, a support role, that being marketing and communications, I had each of them basically write the training manual manual to train their successor as part of their job. And so that sure. systems manual continues to get better. And now that I'm on that third person in that role, which honestly oftentimes tends to be a bit of a higher turnover role, they're all just building on what the last person put in place for systems and processes all written down. So my responsibility is to refer to what we have written down and if it may or may not be accurate or current, then you know the successor is updating it and learning along the way. So that's been invaluable to build on responsibilities and honestly simplify the training process because that is one of the biggest often hurdles like Jim brought up as far as being reluctant <laughs> to bring that person on because you have to figure out how to teach them the job. Yep. But yeah, final thoughts from the rest of you all, things maybe that have worked best or, or not so well. Jim. Yeah, take time to do it. That, that's all. You can't hire somebody and then expect them to know what everything is all all the way. Remember, this job has this massive learning curve if you've not been in it before. Uh, financial services is a different language, especially for independent people. Uh, as an RIA, I know most you guys work for broker dealers, so you have a lot of integrated platforms. But RIA, we have so many tech solutions. We have good tech, but not everything always talks to each other. So making sure you spend the time necessary to do that. I, I love, by the way, Jeff, your idea of the training manual, having somebody write that. I think it's fantastic. I've had my operations manager uh, do standard operating procedures for our business. So what happens when a check comes in or how do you process a, a, a beneficiary change? So I would say that's a lot of front end work, but after you've put the time in there, it's it exists forever on your, on your platform. So I, I just think Cutting or making the time to be able to do that, and then being fair in your expectations. They're not going to know how to do a Roth conversion if they didn't even know what a Roth IRA was three weeks ago. So just be impatient around that. How about you, Brad? I would stick to you know just making sure that you're not spending your time doing tasks that are not 
worth your time. I, I hate to put it that way, but that's the reality. And staying out in front of that, right? Kind of not not quite the same thing as running the staff at eighty percent, but not waiting until your staff has to be at hundred percent to find someone. Because you know, like we've been talking about for half an hour now, it's not always the smoothest process. So I wouldn't wait to the last minute to say now I'm at capacity. I'm going to look for someone. When you get close to maybe seventy or eighty percent capacity, start looking. That way, they're ready to hit the ground running when you need them. No doubt, Greg. Yeah, I uh, I'm going to kind of echo both uh, Brad and Jim, but but also state like like I said before, uh, I, the, my funny line. Yeah, you pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys. Pay 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 a reasonable solid salary, you know, whatever it is, whatever your compensation package looks like. That's another topic for another day. If, you know, if you include bonuses and things like that, but I don't want my people to leave, you know, if they're, if their resumes on indeed, I'm not paying them enough or they don't want to be here. Right. So that's, that's huge to me. Um, the other thing is, is I, I always think of that. My dentist, my dentist comes in, you know, for my cleaning shakes, my, you know, smile, we don't, you know, Shake, shakes my hand and that's it. The only work he's ever done on me in all these years is if I need a filling. I think he does like crowns and things like that, but but he's doing like the high dollar value stuff. He's not he's not cleaning my teeth and and you know flossing and doing all the, all this other stuff. He's not scheduling the appointments, right? Hey, it's you know it's it's Dr. Smith, it's time for your uh, you know 6 month cleaning. He's not doing that stuff. So, uh, that doctor comes in, he's the one he owns the business. But he's not doing that stuff. So so delegate all that stuff, like Brad said. No That's doubt. a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a playbook. You know, isn't that the problem? There's no playbook for our business, or there are a million different playbooks. There's basically one dentist playbook. Well, that's, you know what, in, in our defense, though, dentists don't have anyone come in and tell them that uh, their brother-in-law told them at a picnic that this is the way that he should clean teeth. <laughs> True. True. So we have to be more adaptive than, than yeah. a dentist. <laughs> no doubt about Every it. Every advisor right. is just shaking their head yes to that comment. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Well, there are plenty of takeaways here, uh, but more importantly, now is the time to start thinking about what everybody's action plan should be following this. So take what you've heard here, write down some of the key points, and then start developing the specific actionable items that you can take to most importantly, what we're all here to talk about. How do you grow and how do you grow to get to the level that you want to be at. So uh, thanks for joining us today and be sure to hit subscribe wherever you are listening to this. So you're sure to get notifications as we continue to add more episodes. So have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week. Thank you.